Thank you so much for being here this morning. And if you'd like to take out your Bible with me and turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 is where we will be this morning. Um, and if you're visiting with us, we're especially grateful for your presence. There should be a Bible provided there for you in the pew if you don't have one with you. And we'll turn to the first uh, page or two of that Bible. Genesis chapter 1, and we'll read beginning in verse 26 here in just a moment. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Uh, in a video posted to YouTube on the 23rd of this month, a week ago, a transgender TikTok influencer began an interview with President Biden by saying, Mr. President, this is my 221st day of publicly transitioning. To which the president replied, God love it. In the days since I heard this, um, I've prayed for both the president and the interviewer in the run-up to this lesson that I've been thinking about and working on and preparing for some time. God loves uh, those two people, and so do I. But how do I, as a Christian, respond properly and biblically to the very public cry to affirm the feelings of those who believe that they are living in the wrong kind of body, the wrong gender, despite their biological realities? Let's consider together this morning the Christian's response to gender identity. And gender identity is defined as each person's internal or individual experience of gender. It is a person's sense of being a woman, a man, both, neither, or anywhere along the gender spectrum. How am I supposed to respond to that as a Christian? And we know as Christians we're supposed to be ready to give an answer. And as with any topic, my concern is not the politics that are involved in it. It's not the opinions of people that is involved with it. My concern, not just as a gospel preacher, my concern as a Christian is what is God's will? What does the Bible say about this topic or any topic? What does the Bible say? And we want to show grace and love and truth. We want to show those things as God shows them. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 6, we are told that love, true love, godly, biblical love, does not rejoice in iniquity. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. And we are called as Christians, the second greatest commandment is to love our neighbors as ourselves. How do I show love in this scenario? And we are called also to be lights that shine into the darkness. And included in that is that we are lights of God's truth shining into the darkness of the devil's lies. The answer to this question is rooted in creation and God as our creator. Um, I asked Barrett to lead us in songs this morning about God as our creator and the songs that he picked were so appropriate as a reminder to us as human beings that we are created, that he created us in his own image and he said that it was very good. And so if you are there in Genesis chapter 1, let's acknowledge three truths from the creation. Genesis chapter 1, and let's read verses 26 and 27 to begin our lesson this morning. Then God said, on the sixth day, 
Let us make man in our own image, according to our own likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. What do we learn from those two verses in the first chapter of our Bible? We, we, well, we will learn some, some truths about ourselves and how we were created Number one, God created two genders. He made them male and female. These are the two genders. And that should not be a statement that is sensitive, that I have to beat around the bush. It should not be something that is controversial. It shouldn't cause the room to perk up when I say that there are two genders, but it does. And it's not just that there are two genders. These two genders are stable. They are binary, to use the, the term of our day. Binary is a word that you hear a lot in this discussion. It just means that there are two and only two choices. Uh, those of you from a computer sciences background will understand this and see this. We think about binary code, right? It is computer code that is made up entirely of two things, ones and zeros. Those are the two choices. And so, too, there are only two genders, male and female. There is no gender spectrum. There are no seven genders, as many would claim in today's world. And there are very rare cases where there are genetic abnormalities relating to chromosomes and reproductive organs, but that does not represent some sort of third gender. It means that there was a problem in the physical development of these individuals. And that's not to say that they aren't people or that they don't have the same value of everyone else. I want to be explicit about that. But they are not a different gender because there are genetic abnormalities. There are two genders, male and female. And secondly, we see that these genders are represented and expressed in sexual reproduction. Uh, Read the next verse, Genesis 1 and verse 28 together. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the context in which that idea of male and female makes sense, right? The human body is designed for reproduction through a male and a female. And we, as human beings, identify millions of species of animals as male or female as it relates to their distinct roles in sexual reproduction. And there is no real controversy about that. And there hasn't really been uh, controversy as it relates to humans either until just the last few years. This is expressed in sexual reproduction But I also want you to know that as we learn more, as science reveals more about us and how God created us, this expression of two genders goes much deeper than just just our sexual organs. God created us male and female, not just with our reproductive parts, but in all parts of our body. We are fundamentally different as males and females. I'm not a biologist. Uh, But I am friends with one, 
Um, Todd Chandler, who is actually going to be with us in January, is a biology professor on the college level. And he pointed me in the right direction on some of this. For example, in 2001, the Institute of Medicine published a significant report highlighting the importance of sex as a variable in human and experimental studies. Uh, In much of the scientific past, most studies were done on men without specific application to women. And so many of these studies and many of the decisions, many of the medicines that have been created along those lines uh, are ineffective, less effective, or have different side effects because we didn't understand how they would impact women. And so the Institute of Medicine coined the phrase in 2001 fighting against this, quote, every cell has a sex. As Dr. Paula Johnson, a professor of medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital, that's at Harvard Medical School, she puts it this way, quote, men and women are different down to the cellular and molecular levels. We are different across all our organs, from our brains to our hearts and our lungs and our joints. This binary difference is found in every cell in your body. It's in our DNA with XX and XY chromosomes. Men and women are different. They are designed differently by God. Compatible and comparable to one another, but created to be different. And so we see these two realities, but as Christians we learn something else and something in some ways even more powerful about ourselves, that we are created with a spiritual side and a physical side, that there is a spiritual side and a physical side to human beings. And many who would um, disagree with what the Bible teaches on this would say, I hear what you're saying about biological sex, but that's different from gender. Gender is something that I have in my mind and in my heart, and it's going to be expressed differently than what I am on the outside. But what the Bible teaches is, yes, we have a spirit and a body. We are made of dust, as chapter 2 and verse 7 puts it, right? That's the physical stuff. But we are also made in the image of God. That's the spiritual side of us. And the thing is that God cares about both parts of us as human beings. He cares about our spirits and He cares about our bodies. If we think about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, we actually quoted this same verse last week on Sunday morning, but it says this in regard to us as Christians. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. You're supposed to be totally set apart, made holy by God, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants to sanctify us completely, spirit, soul, and body. God's desire is to sanctify, set us apart as holy. What part? Just our spirit? Just our mind? Just our soul? Or all of us, including our body? Spirit, soul, that's my mind, my emotions, my will, my reasoning, but also my body is set apart as holy unto God. My physical and spiritual sides, therefore, are supposed to be in agreement with one another. 
And when there is discord between these two, when the way I think about myself, when the way I I think about who I am on the inside and what I actually am on the outside, when there's discord, discord between those two things, then something is wrong. That is not how God created it. And my body is made the way God intended it for it to be made, and my mind is supposed to have congruency with that. Transgenderism denies this truth and and says instead, well, my body is male, but my real self, who I really am on the inside, might be female. And my response is, your body is a part of your real self. It is a part of who you really are, and it is important to God. Um, This idea of, you know, we've got these two parts of us, and one of them's important and one of them isn't, you know, that's not a new idea. That, That is an ancient idea. And there are lots of places where we could go to illustrate this, but my favorite place to describe this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you want to turn over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because it relates back to this idea of God caring about our bodies and our spirits. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, let's read in beginning in verse 13. Now, Paul uh, was, cha- was trained apparently in classical rhetoric. He was trained in Jewish argumentation as well. And we can see that, that Paul can spin an argument. And one of the rhetorical devices that he uses in, in a number of his letters, maybe most clearly in the book of Romans, but also here in 1 Corinthians, he will quote something that his opponents, the opponents of God, the, opponent, the false teachers, he'll quote something that they say. Right? He wants to say, I'm representing what it is that they're arguing, and then he'll respond to what it is that they say. And he does that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He does that in verse 12. All things are lawful for me. Well, that's what some of these folks were saying. I can do whatever I want to in my body. All things are lawful. But, but Paul's response is that, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. That's what they say. But Paul says, I'm not going to be brought under the power of any. Now, specifically as it relates to our topic this morning, notice verse 13. Here's what they were saying, Paul's opponents. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Paul was likely addressing the early Christian version of a, of a philosophy called Gnosticism. You've, you've probably heard that. If you were in my first John class a number of months ago, we talked about Gnosticism. And John talked about this uh, false teaching extensively in his letters. By the end of the first century, it was much more developed. It was much more common. It had much more pervasive influence on Christianity. And read First John about how how spirits and bodies should align if we want to be right with Christ. But Gnosticism said, in part, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. It's just a body. And your spirit is the only thing that matters. That's your real self. And this physical body, this tent, you can do whatever you want with it. Use it. Abuse it. Change it. Punish it. Because that's not really you. Does that sound familiar? I can do what I want with my body because who I really am is outside of my body, to use the phraseology that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
And so I want to just take my body and make it conform to my real self that I find in my mind. And Paul's response to that is, no, your body as it is created is important to God. And your physical and spiritual sides are supposed to both be serving and glorifying God. And he makes application in the form of sexual immorality. And the argument that was made by some of the people in the church in Corinth where widespread immorality was found in in this city right and it was expressed in all sorts of ways they worship their gods using sexual immorality and so Paul's fighting against this idea that had crept into the church in Corinth of well as long as you keep your spirit pure go do whatever you want with your body doesn't matter what you do use it in whatever way you want and Paul says your body is important keep reading with me Now the body is not for sexual immorality, second half of verse 13, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies, your physical bodies, are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Going back to the book of Genesis. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. And again, he quotes his opponents and what they say. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body. You know, we can commit these sins. They're outside of the body. That's fine. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Paul says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Sexual sin is in some ways different in that it uses the body, the actual body God has given us as a means of sin. It is a sin against our own bodies. And and Paul's response is, your body is supposed to be a temple. Now you think about that in terms of not just the ancient world, but think specifically about Judaism. The temple is where God dwelt. And there was no more holy thing in the physical world than the temple. And God says, your bodies, your bodies are that. And the whole idea that my body is irrelevant to my true self and I can do whatever I want to uh, with that body. I can do what I think I ought to do with that. That is untrue and that is unbiblical. God has a will for how you use your body just as he has a will for how you use your mind. You are bought with a price and so glorify God in your body and in your spirit Both of those things are God's. Now, um, I'm tempted. I'm tempted to just end the lesson there. Uh, Like nine of you did this. What? What? (laughs) Because that's the truth. That's the truth biblically. That's the truth biologically. That's the truth rationally. But I'm not going to. Shock. (laughs) Because as Christians, we are called to do more than just express the truth. 
Not less than that, but we are called to do more than just express the truth. I express this truth because, because the error, the lie that is found in our culture is harmful. It's harmful to people who are made in the image of God that God loves, that God sent his son to die for. What's so wrong? What is so wrong about transgenderism? What's so wrong about this? It's not truth. True. What's so wrong about it? Well, number one, it does not recognize the truth, the reality of how God created you and said you were very good. He created you male and female. And it does not honor the body that God has loaned you. This is not your body to do with whatever you will. It's God's body that he loaned to you just as he loaned this spirit. And we have possession of it, but we're supposed to use it according to God's will and God's ways. The body is often mutilated and changed to at least as pure as though it was something different than it really is, and that doesn't honor this body that God has loaned us. And transgenderism does not glorify God in your spirit and body, which are God's. This is not God's design for your body and how it is supposed to be used. So what should our response be as Christians? Um, the reality is that we all uh, live in a world now where we experience this. Some of you maybe are experiencing this in your own mind and heart and life, gender dysphoria, as we'll talk about. Uh, some of you may have friends or loved ones going through uh, these feelings. Um, certainly all of us are, have interaction with people perhaps who are dealing with these things. What should our response be? Well, our response has to be truth. We need to speak the truth, especially to our children who are bombarded with lies along this regard, starting at an early age if we're not careful. And we cannot go along with the devil's fantasy and all of the sinful ramifications that come from that. Now, having said that, the truth is also that, that in our world, gender dysphoria is real. What is gender dysphoria? Well, we're familiar with the, the term euphoria, right? That I have extreme happiness. I'm really up. I'm glad about everything. Dysphoria, just like utopia and dystopia. Dysphoria is the idea that, that you're unhappy. It is a state of feeling very unhappy, uneasy, or dissatisfied. So, gender dysphoria is a feeling of extreme unhappiness, uneasiness, and dissatisfaction with one's own physical gender. It is the internal sense of feeling that I ought to be a different gender than my biological sex. My body and my mind are in disagreement with one another. And this is a real struggle that real people struggle with it is a real mental health and spiritual condition it is a confusion of identity and that's the truth and because of that truth we need to love i cannot endorse the president's statement god love it but i do say god love them because they are people created in the image of god can you show empathy to these folks made in the image of God can you put yourself in their shoes that's what we're called to do you ever thought about that have you ever tried to do that 
what a terrible thing, what a terrible feeling it must be to hate your own body, to feel like you don't even belong in it, and then to be encouraged by a society that the way you fix that is to mutilate that body. And often to be abandoned by the very ones who told you to do that after you do. Do you have empathy and love for someone in that situation? Oh, they need Christ. They need the gospel just as just as I do. Wouldn't that be a terrible, painful, lonely place to be? So they don't need our ridicule or anger. They need the truth spoken in love. Amen? We need to show true, godly love and compassion. But the right and loving and godly thing to do is not to affirm this condition, but to seek to provide help and direction and support and counseling to resolve the issue of the mind. And yet that kind of treatment is illegal to provide, at least to minors, in 20 states in our country and the District of Columbia and in 50 other cities and municipalities across the country. And there are Christian counselors who have had to move from the state where they have lived their whole life lest they be thrown into prison for trying to provide this kind of care. Now, maybe you don't agree with the things I've said thus far. That's okay. We can keep talking about it. But I think we would all agree, whatever your stance on this issue, whether you're here in person, watching online, or listening to a recording of this lesson, whatever your stance, I think we would all agree that there is a disagreement, an incongruity between the body and the mind, a a dysphoria of the mind, right? This is the way I feel in my mind. And so my question is, what should we treat? Do we treat the mind to accept the body as it really is, or do we change the body to align more closely with what the mind believes, at least at this moment in time, about itself? And from a a logical standpoint, from a loving standpoint, we would treat other forms of dysphoria in a much different way than how we are told that we must treat gender dysphoria with this so-called affirming care, agreeing with and affirming with what the mind thinks, not what the body actually is. And the most common example, and maybe it's inflammatory in some ways, that I've, I've seen cited in this discourse is a condition known as body integrity dysphoria. Body integrity dysphoria is an extremely rare phenomenon where patients prefer to cut off their healthy limbs, arms, legs, because they feel a mismatch between their mental and physical image. They identify themselves in their own mind and say, you know, I'm not supposed to have this arm. And in body integrity dysphoria, patients desire amputation in order to find their true selves. What should we do in that situation? Should we affirm that and allow this person to mutilate their body in that way? Well, I would say no. I don't think that's what's best for them, right? 
But while that condition exists, it's extremely rare. A more common example might be an eating disorder like, like anorexia. That is a dysphoria with body image, isn't it? Where someone views their own body of normal or even below normal size and weight and BMI as overweight and ugly. And what they see in the mirror in their mind does not conform with the reality of what that body actually is. See what I mean? How should we treat someone who has this condition? The way I perceive myself and the way I really am do not match. How should we treat anorexia? Do we change the body to try and align it more with that person's perception? Or should we try and heal the mind to accept the reality, the physical reality of how the body really is? Do we go along with their view of themselves? Do we affirm that? Or should we help them to see the actual physical reality? If we follow this pattern in our society of gender-affirming care and treating these sort of eating disorders, we might prescribe diet pills or liposuction or gastric bypass surgery in in an attempt to affirm the so-called reality of this person's perception and mind. Is that loving? I don't believe it is. Is it right? Because it's not the truth. It's not the reality. And the fact is, presenting yourself as the opposite gender of what you biologically are doesn't make it reality either. Even more extreme measures like a mastectomy won't make a female any closer to being a biological male. Removing male reproductive organs won't make a male any closer to being a biological female. That's not how sex and gender works. Damaging the body does not resolve the issues of the mind. It's much deeper than that. The mind, the spirit needs to be healed to align with the reality of the body. That's what's loving. And that's the position from which we come biblically. And so we need to respond to this with Scripture. I want you to turn to one more passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's begin reading in verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. We're here. We're in real bodies. But it's not just a fleshly war that we're fighting. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, physical, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Who is that for? It's for all of us. For every single one of us who identify as a Christian. All of us have incongruency. Sometimes between what I'm thinking and then what I'm doing. Between what I want to do and what I'm actually doing. Paul talks about that extensively in Romans chapter 7, right? 
And what God intends to provide us are spiritual weapons to help us in bringing this mind that we have into captivity, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now you think about that. What is that if not the spiritual side and the physical side of man? I bring my mind into captivity so that the way I express that in my body, in my life, in the way that I live, aligns with who I want to be, aligns with who Christ wants me to be. I I agree with this. It's all about identity. But what God intends for us and how he created us and how he recreated us in Jesus Christ, that I find my identity, I find who I really am, not in my sexuality and expressions of it, not in my gender and expressions of it. I find who I really am in conforming myself to the image of Christ. And all other things fall into place behind that, secondary to that, because I am submitting myself to his will. And there are things that I want to do in my body that are against the will of God. And I must bring my mind into obedience and subjection to Christ by his grace and through his teaching so that I can form myself to his will instead of my own. Amen? And scripture directs us and instructs us in that. The Bible speaks directly to the strongholds in our mind, including transgenderism. Listen to that truth. Jesus created you as you are in the body you have, and he wants your body and spirit to be in agreement with one another. And so the final response to all of these things for us as Christians should be prayer. I've prayed for those in authority. God commands me to do that. I have to do that, right? But I also pray that I might be in a position, that God might put me in a position. And if I am in that position, that I might be ready to help those who may be struggling with these feelings of dysphoria. That we might be in a position as Christians, as a local church, and as the Lord's church to shine the light of Christ into their lives all with the hopes that they might be raised with us into a new body that God will give us, spiritual in nature, and that we might all be saved eternally. Would you pray with me for that very thing? Dear God, our great and powerful and awesome Father in heaven, we know that we live in a world, uh, a world under the curse of sin, And there are so many temptations, so many issues and problems in our world. And we pray, Father, that you would not take us from this world, but that you would keep us from the evil one. That you might equip us to pull down strongholds in our minds and lives. And through the sacrifice of your Son, that you might forgive us of those sins as we repent of them. We pray for all those who are in authority, Father, that you would give them wisdom, that the light of Christ might shine into their lives, that they might come to know you if they do not, that they might submit themselves to you. And we pray for all those who are created in your image, 
whatever they have done, wherever they are in their lives, whatever things that they face, that you would bring them to that doorstep of knowing you, that you would give them the opportunity, sometimes through us as imperfect vessels of the Word of God, for them to see the truth and make the decision whether to accept or reject it. We pray for our hearts, Father, that our hearts would be right in this and all matters of truth, that we might be filled, that we might be filled with truth and love, and that we might be compelled to speak that truth in love. And Father, if there's anything that stands between us and you, we pray that you would forgive us of those things. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, your identity can be found in Jesus Christ. If you'll come and submit yourself to Him in baptism, humble yourself before Him, and He will lift you up. And He is the only one who can solve these issues that we have between our minds and our bodies, between what we think and what we do, if we will come to Him and follow His way. And if you're already a Christian and you realize that that you have sin in your life that needs to be corrected, that your desire to be a child of God, to live as a child of God, to walk in the light has been compromised by a walk in darkness. You have the opportunity, even this morning, to do something so simple, to come and confess your sin and that we might pray for you and pray with you. And God promises to forgive you of all those sins. We can help you with that even this morning. Come now, while together we stand and while we sing. And so I'll let you